Of the things I missed on vacation, I definitely missed the worship and praise, our music. Uh, the band does a great job, don't they? Amen? They do a great job, yeah. So I want to start off with a crazy question. What do you feed an 800-pound gorilla? Anything at once. <laughs> what, do you, what should you do if you come to church and you find an 800-pound gorilla in your seat? Because you guys have your seats, right? You got your seats? What, what do you do if an 800-pound gorilla is sitting in your seat? Sit somewhere else. Yes, yes. Uh, where does an 800-pound gorilla sit? And before you answer that question, I want you to hear uh, these responses. I mean, an 800-pound gorilla probably probably could sit where? Anywhere it wants. It's really about 600 pounds. That's about as big as they get. But, uh, you know, an 800-pound gorilla, if they came in, they might be looking for a chair. Where is there a chair big enough to hold my weight? And, you know, like, whose coat is this? Are they going to worry about it if the coat's on the chair? No, they're just going to sit wherever they want. And I was thinking about this. You know, everyone's got their spirit animal, right? Renee uh, is a turtle, right? Renee, she, she claims the turtle. Uh, I claim to come from a family of gorillas uh, because we enjoy fighting and yelling, and that's something our family enjoyed to do. <laughs> Lots of therapy. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, just a little bit of therapy. Anyway, what's your spirit animal? What, I mean, I actually asked this question at 9 o'clock. If you're online, type in your spirit animal. What, what's your spirit animal? I can't hear Will, so you have to shout. Apparently, you're all shy creatures. A tiger? A moose? Did I hear a moose? We were looking for a moose in Colorado. We didn't see one. Anyone? A bear? All right. So... <clears throat> Were you born to be cute or ferocious? So I have been absolutely living with Isaiah 40. I would encourage you to go home and read Isaiah 40 and just live with it. Isaiah 40 is a great, great passage if you're traveling through the mountains of Colorado. And if you were to give God a spirit animal, I'm not trying to insult God when I say this, uh, God is the 800-pound gorilla par excellence. Uh, and look at these verses from Isaiah 40. We're going to read some scripture here. To whom can you compare God? What image can you find to resemble him? Can he be compared to an idol formed in mold, uh, overlaid with gold, decorated with silver chains? Who else has held the oceans, plural, in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him <clears throat> advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? And the answer is obvious. What is it, church? It's no. Does he need instruction about what is good? God sits enthroned and above the circle of the earth. The people seem like what? They seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens, I love this image, like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world. There's some great people in our world and brings them all to what, church? All to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them and they, they wither. The wind carries him like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asked the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? 
Who brings out each star one by one, calling each by its name? May God bless the reading of this word. I love this. To whom can you compare God, the text says. The 800-pound gorilla falls short, amen? You can't control God. In seminary, they used to have a phrase, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. When's the last time any of you picked up the whole earth as if it were a grain of sand? Or weighed a mountain or two on the scale? I love this verse. He calls out each star by its name. Anyone here know, just, just curiosity's sake, and my son Jacob loves this. My son Jacob, he loves space and NASA, and he's probably going to end up working for them because he's smart in math and science, <laughs> unlike his dad. But anyhow, my son has really helped me with this. Uh, does anyone here know what the closest star to us is? You see it every day. It's out right now. It's called the sun. The sun. The sun is 92 plus million miles away from us, and it's the closest star we know about. And it's not cloudy out, so if you go out today, you can feel its warmth, amen? You're in Corpus Christi, you're going to feel its warmth. And you can get sunburn from it, and it can cause health problems if you get too much of it or you get too little of it. And you know what? The sun's not even that big of a star. No, it's not. There's a star called Beetlejuice. Anyone remember the movie Beetlejuice that absolutely traumatized us all? Yeah, great movie, right? But there, the, the, the Beetlejuice star is actually bigger than the sun, 700 times. They could fit, get this, a million Earths in the sun right now. But Beetlejuice is the biggest star we found, and it's 1,700 times bigger than our sun. Do you know they estimate there are stars so big that they'd be able to fit our entire solar system inside them? This is where you go, wow. <laughs> and we have this universe, and it's enormous, and it's expanding, and they estimate 46 billion light years across the universe. And here's that science. Science is telling us that. And then the Bible says, oh, yeah, that's true. God measures it with the span of his hand. And it all came out of his mouth. God speaks, and it is. Wouldn't you love to be able to do that? Just speak, and it is. Come on, in your relationships, wouldn't you love to do that with your spouse? Speak, and it is. It doesn't happen that way in my marriage. I speak, and it's not. I mean, who are you going to put in this category, right? Who's in the same weight class with God? It's a comic joke to speak of anything in the same weight class as God. And this is Bible speak. Bible speak. Bible says, look, heaven and earth. God created heaven and earth. And that's shorthand for God created everything that God is the author of everything we see. So when we say, look, I believe in God the Father, and I believe in the omnipotent, all-powerful God, yeah, he created everything that's ever been. And it's really interesting, when you look at science, you really should be looking at what they're doing with science right now, because it's so fascinating to me. Like, how many of you have heard of James Webb, the James Webb Telescope? How many of you have heard of that? Right now, it's currently being built. It's a hundred billion over project. 100 billion over the estimated initial project. So if you ever had like a, a, a built house and maybe it went a little bit over budget, don't feel bad. The James Webb, this is a telescope that's going to be used to replace the Hubble. It's going to be parked, they're going to actually park it a million miles away from us. And then when it's opened up and unfurled, hopefully they say it's going to show us, supposedly this telescope will show us where the universe came from. Ha! 
<laughs> that blows my mind. Wow. Science calls it the Big Bang. Genesis says God spoke and there was a Big Bang. God opens his mouth. And we have the James Webb. It's going to be able to see whatever was and whatever it is. It's so powerful, the optics on the James Webb, if it were on the earth, it's going to be able to see not only a bumblebee on the moon, but it's going to be able to detect the heat signature of the bumblebee on the moon. That's the face I make when I hear that stuff. Like, wow. Everyone say, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that's crazy. Y'all really should follow NASA on Instagram, read Reddit. You ought to look at some stuff. There's some crazy stuff. The SpaceX the, the first crew capsule, um, I have a friend who works with NASA, he's an astronaut, and he says they're gearing back up to get on the moon in five years, Mars in 20 years. Anyone here want to go to Mars? My son Jacob does. <laughs> I'm like, well, we'll see you in the next life. Wow. But all the stuff out there, God spoke, and it was. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you alone are Lord. How many lords are there? You alone are the Lord. You made what? What's it say? You made the heavens. Even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts. The earth and all that's on it and all that's in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. So one of the things people say like the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? People say that. Fear of the Lord does not mean you're scared. It means, it means you think about these things. You have a sense of awe, a sense of wonder, a sense of reverence that God created all these things. So, of course, it takes faith to believe in God because most of us haven't had God come in and shake our hand, right? Right? That would not happen. We don't see God face to face because, accordingly to Indiana Jones, we would just melt. Remember, our face would melt. Remember that in the movie? Just me? Church. I've been on vacation. I need to feel a little more love. Okay. Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? It, it would be nasty. We need a mop, right? And so the scripture says, you know, look, what does it take to please God? What does it take? Scripture say, what do we have to have to please God? We have to have, it's the F word, faith, faith. Some of you are like, F word? Y'all, where are your minds? Faith. So God is the creator of heaven and earth. But even if you don't believe in God, even if you don't believe that God created science and God created the Big Bang and all those things, it's still, you're still exercising faith. For it's been said and it's well said, I believe in God and I don't believe in God are both statements of faith. They are. So to believe that there's an intelligent being that created all that there is, or to believe that he created something out of nothing, both take faith. And Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, faith that empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's word. He spoke and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. So we believe, what do we believe? That God created the world. And why do we believe that? Because we, we see clues. We go to places like I did this last week. And you, it's impossible when you're standing at the Cascade Falls in Uray, Colorado, to deny the existence of God. And a good thing we haven't built a Walmart right next to it. Because that would make it easier to deny the existence of God. He snaps his fingers, right? And your heart beats. He breathes life into you and you're alive. 
Every good gift, Scripture says, is from God. You think you, you have a, a big bank account? You think you're big and strong? One stroke and you're done. I've seen it. I've buried people like that. One accident and you're done. Life is fleeting. Your life is a mist. You are hurtling towards death at lightning speed. So you better stop and recognize the creator. You and I are not powerful. God's not impressed with my strength or your strength or the strength of man or woman. In a hundred years, it's like you're never here. In a thousand years, they, can, they don't even read your name on the tombstone anymore. Show me the, the tombstones from a thousand years ago. They're going to build a Walmart over the grave one day. No, it's a perpetual cemetery. Perpetual, whose lifetime? You go over to Seaside, they'll sell you a lifetime seal on grandma's casket. <laughs> I've stood with families and helped them do that because they've asked me, will you go with me? And they're, don't you want the lifetime seal on grandma's casket? Whose lifetime are we talking about? Are we going to dig it up and check? I think in 10 years we're going to check that lifetime seal. <laughs> we're silly about death. But God is greater than an 800-pound gorilla. And God is great. And with all that power, because this is where I'm leading, you're sort of leading, what, what is this all about? God could do anything God wants to do with that power. Amen. But that powerful, rich, dynamic, 800-pound gorilla who holds the earth like a grain of sand, that God invites you into this loving relationship, this beautiful dance, this incredible life where you get to call him dad. Dad. Jesus says it this way, the God who weighs the mountains on his scale, who holds the oceans in his hands, he who counts every sparrow that's ever fallen, and he cares about those sparrows, but he cares how much more so for you. In other words, here's what's the most powerful thing about God. Not that he created the sun, the moon, the stars. The most powerful thing about God to me is the fact that he loves you and me. <laughs> this is where we get excited. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what your mama's done. Right? My mom did a lot. Played for the church 70-some years. God doesn't say, well, I love Pastor John because mom did that. Not because you put a little extra in the plate, although I will love you more. <laughs> I will. But because God is love, 1 John 4, 7, God is love. And God cannot, the one thing God cannot do, right? They asked this question when I minored in religious philosophy, purely atheist. They hated me. I was the bane in their existence. God cannot quit loving you. And so how did Jesus tell us to pray? Oh, well, pray this way. Oh, mighty Megatron, creator of the earth. Or, <laughs> you, you know, the early Jewish people didn't even want to say the name of God. They didn't want to say, because it's so sacred. He's so powerful. And, and sometimes people, when they pray, it's so funny to me, like, I always get asked to pray. But I love it at family events when I go, you know what, I'm not going to pray. Thanksgiving, Christmas, I'm off. I'm not praying. And then someone else in my family tries to pray. And this is usually how it goes. They look over at me nervously. 
and then, and then they'll break into like a British accent. Well, my dear father, are you from Liverpool? I think you're from San Antonio. Or they, they start like, they go, Father Almighty. Well, that was a deep sigh. Wow, look at you go. I mean, Jesus taught us how to pray. Our Father, our Father, ours, who art in heaven, how be your name. You're in heaven, but you're my dad. Now, two things, of course. God gives to us, hopefully, a good earthly father, right? And those of us like me, I had a good dad, and I have a good dad right now. We're immediately happy in some ways because we're like, oh, God is like my father, so that's a good thing, right? I have an awesome dad. Or maybe if you didn't have a good dad, maybe you could say, well, you know what? They have an awesome dad, and so God is like that. So God's like a good father. But I also love on the other side of that, it tells us, those of us like me who want to be good fathers, right, what we should be like. And if you want to be a good dad, be like God. And what do you see God do? Well, be like that. And all of us, all of this power that God has, and yet what does God choose to do with it? All this power, sun, moon, stars, universe, God knows everything, created everything, all these things God does, what does God choose to do with it? Serve us, love us, redeem us, care for us. Isn't that what Jesus was trying to communicate when he washed the feet of the disciples? And I love that we get redemption for those of us who perhaps in this room, because there are some of you who did not have a good father. Or you don't even know who your father is. In God, the father, you have a father that you never had. All of us have in him a mighty and merciful father. And not just any father, and this is the part that really should get to you. Not just any father, but he is your adopted father. So this means he went through the process of adopting you, of choosing you. Not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did. You've been invited into the family relationship to have the same relationship that Jesus has with the Father here on this earth. It's sort of like this. If my sons bring home someone to our house and they're good with my sons, they're good with me, right? What do you want to eat? You got refrigerator rights right away. You understand what I'm saying, church? So if you're good with Jesus, God's like, come on in. You're hungry. What do you need? And that's the invitation the Father gives to you. He's chosen to adopt you into the family based upon what his son Jesus did for you on the cross. And the adopted father had a choice. He didn't have to invite you in. He's a 100-pound gorilla. He could just say, forget you. So you have a father who wants to be your father. He wasn't stuck with you. He wasn't like, oh, another mouth to feed. Here we go. He went through all the trouble to adopt you, bring you into a relationship with you. What am I trying to get you to see? Someone say, what? Because I'm sure you're curious, where is this message going? This is 800-pound gorilla. We're confused. I'm still getting emails about the hemorrhoid sermon, by the way. Please, it was one sermon. Steve. <laughs> I'm trying to get you to see that God is mighty, Right? Mighty, 800 pounds of might, 800 pounds of, of sits wherever he wants, does whatever he wants, doesn't check with anyone. No one's like him. No one's in the same conversation, the same weight class. 
And with all that power coursing through them, all that power to rip your arms up, right? He instead chose to what? Spread his arms out on the cross and choose to die for you and to live for you and to lavish his love upon you. This is where we get excited. (laughs) I'm telling you, with all 800 pounds, he chose grace. And that's what's so amazing about our great father. But this sword cuts both ways, right? Because we want to acknowledge him as our maker, then we must also acknowledge that he's also our master, right? So many people want Jesus to be their savior, but not their Lord. And it, you can't have it. You can't have one without the other. You can't say, Jesus, you're my savior, but not my Lord. Jesus, please bail me out of this situation, but uh, the rest of my life's mine. What if you said, John, come on in, but Robert, stay out. (laughs) Uh, My name goes with me because of all God's attributes are who he is, not what he does. So you can't acknowledge God and have him as your father, but then not have him as your creator as well. And so why is all this important? Someone say, why? Well, let me explain. Let me explain. When I lived in, uh, and I'll, I'll use an Example to explain this. When I lived in Escondido, California, a place that I could not afford, speaking of places you cannot afford, tell you ride or tell you rich. We rode the free gondola into the land of the wealthy. I'm not kidding. I went for lunch. <laughs> lunch. Yes, I'd like a Sprite, $4. What? $4? I get like an oil change with that? What? So the average home in Corpus is what? 250,000 in May of 2021. The average home in Telluride, and want to take a guess? 2.7 million. So just for grins and giggles, just for fun, Renee and I picked up one of the real estate guides just, just to have some fun. Just to see how the wealthy live. Picked up the guide, and I said, find the smallest place, Renee. We can do it. We can do it. She found a condo for 492 square feet. A condo, 492 square feet. Doesn't sound bad. It would be intimate. We'd probably be divorced, but it'd be fun. 492 feet of living on top of each other. With an $800 a month HOA. I'm already out. (laughs) 1.2 million, it can be yours. I could afford to live in Telluride for a half hour. So anyway, when we lived in Escondido, California, which is also a very expensive place to live and very expensive housing, Renee and I used to go to eat at this little, little, tiny Italian place off the beaten path. It was not well known. It was family run. It was a little dive. But there was a famous celebrity who used to always eat there. And we saw him no less than six or seven times. And he's a hilarious guy. And I love his movies. And this is a guy by the name of Bill Murray. Now, I never really met him. But I gave him the nod. You know the nod? Like, I know who you are, nod, but I'm not going to interrupt your meal. Because he would always get upset and frustrated because people would come up with a napkin. Hey, you're Bill Murray. Duh. Can you sign this? And he'd get mad. He'd get frustrated. He's just trying to have a meal with his family. So I never, never spoke to him. I sat two feet away from him, but I gave him the nod. Like, I know you live in Telluride, and I don't. 
One time, this guy walks in. We're having a nice meal. Bill Murray's there with his family. And he, he always had a big family. He really always had like eight or ten people around. It's all family, always the same. And he, he's there. And this guy walks up to Bill Murray in the middle of the restaurant. You know, lights are low. It's a nice kind of quiet, romantic place. And he says this, this question to Bill Murray. Do you know who you are? And at first, it sounds like a really dumb question. Do you know who you are? But it's actually a great question. Do you know who you are? Do you? I mean, do you really? I mean, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest one of them all? Not you. Well, I'm, I'm 51 years old, and I live at that, this address, and I work. No, 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 no. That all changes. That's transitory. All that goes away. Do you know who you are? We sang about it. There's a reason we sang that song today. I am what? I am a child of, of God. Every day we need to look in the mirror and say two things. The first thing we need to say is, God is God and I'm not. So go ahead and turn to your neighbor and say, God is God and you're not God. Go ahead and do that. Let's have fun. <laughs> now, I didn't say discuss the ways they're not God. I just, it's one sentence. Some of y'all are carrying it into three or four. But commercials, think about this. Everything in our culture tells us you are God. You deserve it. You're number one. Look out for number one or no one else will. No, no, God is an 800-pound gorilla. You're the turtle. You're the gnat. You're the fly. You're the little insignificant being. But you're also a child of God. Everyone in this room, you've probably attended a leadership conference. How many of you have ever been to a leadership conference? We're going to send you away and teach you how to be a leader. I'm 27 years in ministry. Do you know how many seminars I've been to on how to be a better pastor and how to be a better leader and how to be this and all that? Watch the TED Talk and on the leadership conference. You know what we need? We need a followership conference. How many have ever attended a followership conference? You got one job, follow the leader. You're not the leader. What? I want to be the leader. No, you're not it. I was cool playing follow the leader when I was growing up as long as I was the leader. So I'm the leader, I don't want to play no more. I'm very good as long as I'm the leader. But church is the followership conference. And I have the privilege and the joy, really, it is a joy, to be here and be your cheerleader. Jesus is the leader, right? He's our leader. Be thou my vision, right? That's what we sing. O Lord of my life. You know, sometimes people are like, well, you got to come up with a vision. Well, I don't know. I think Jesus is pretty much a good vision for me. The second thing to say to our reflection in the mirror is, I am a child of God. So turn to your neighbor and say, you are a child of God. Go ahead. Now, some of you said it and took it the wrong way, because some of you are like this. Yeah, I know. <sighs> like you earned it. Like you deserve it. No, you don't. It's just grace. It's the name of this church, which I love. It's just freely given. 
Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. says that everybody is a somebody because she or he is a child of God. You must, and I, you know, if you want to read an author about this, read Brendan Manning. Read Brendan Manning. He, he talks about this in his book, Ruthless Trust. You must find your identity only in this, that you are a child of God. Because every other identity you find yourself in will slip away and will be torn from you. Maya Angelou once said, when I found out that I was a child of God, when I understood that, when I comprehended that, when I internalized that, I became courageous. I dared to do anything that was a good thing. God loves you just because. You did nothing to earn it. Let me say it this way. Have, how many of you have ever been around a campfire? How many of you have ever gone, wow, this campfire is hot. It's a little warm. Now, God's love is like that. When you sit in front of a fire in the winter, you just sit there in front of the fire. You don't have to be smart or anything to earn the warmth. Right? There are dumb people that sit around a fire and they get warmed up just like you smart people. <laughs> well, I'm smarter than you. I should get a little more warmth. No. Nope. Fire doesn't care. Same with God's love. It's just there. It just warms you. God's love is not the same as human love. Human love is troubled with conditions and delusions and scorekeeping. When you did this 35 years ago, <laughs> true story, Renee said to me, you know, John, all archaeologists ought to be women. I said, why? She said, because no one digs up the past better than women. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I thought it was funny. You don't like that? Tell, talk to Renee. Just a joke. But God doesn't have visiting hours. He's there whenever we need him. So sermon in a sentence. God holds the heavens in his palms. God made the sun, the moon, the stars with a word. He spoke. God is mighty. But he used that power to what? To adopt you, to redeem you, to make you his, to warm you by the fire. You know, the eminent African-American scientist George Washington Carver actually talked about this. He's a scientist that worked miracles with the lowly peanut in our country. In January of 1921, Carver was brought to Washington to describe his Congressional Ways and Means Committee on his work. He wrote about this experience in his autobiography, which you ought to read. In his autobiography, he wrote about how he was not prepared for the disrespect he was shown in our nation's capital because of something as silly as the pigment of his skin. It's an issue that still troubles our nation. We're still fighting against people who view people as, uh, you're not as much of a child of God as I am because my skin color is different than yours. It's nonsense. So there were people there who actually discouraged him from speaking, called him names, told him to go back home and where he came from. But Dr. Carver had something that many people lack today. He had a deep faith in God. And with that, he had the knowledge of who he was. Do you know who you are? And he did. He wrote in his autobiography, whatever they said of me, I knew that I was a child of God. And so I said to myself inwardly, Almighty God, let me carry out your will. 
When he finally got the chance to speak, he got up to the podium and he was told, you have 20 minutes to speak. And he opened up his display case and he began to explain his project. So engaging was his discussion that those 20 minutes went by so quickly that the chairman rose and asked for an extension so Carver could continue his presentation. Now imagine, I can just imagine one or two of you standing up at the end of the sermon today and saying, Pastor John, this has been so great. Will you please continue it for another 20 or 30 minutes? You're not supposed to laugh at that. No, yes, you are. Carver opened up a display. He continued. He went for an hour. He went for an hour and a half. He went for an hour and 45 minutes. He went for close to two hours because they kept voting for extensions. At the end of his talk, they all stood up and gave him an, an applause. All because he knew who he was and because he refused to be defined by the labels of his culture. He knew who he was. He was a child of God. Do you know who you are? It's a powerful thing when a person discovers that he or she is a child of God. And you need to know that you're not simply the child of an impersonal universe. That you're not just random particles that came together. That you're a child of a loving God who watched over you, who formed you and fashioned you and created you inside your mother's womb, the secret place, as Scripture calls it in Psalm 139. The insightful writer, Kurt Vonnegut put it beautifully. This is what he wrote. I love this. God made some mud. God got lonesome. So God said to some of the mud, sit up. See, all I've made, said God, the hills, the sea, the sky, the stars. And I was some of the mud that got to sit up and look around. Lucky me, lucky mud. I, mud, sat up and saw what a nice job God had done. And he's right. Because regardless of the lifetime seal, guess what? Dust to dust you shall return. It don't matter if you got the lifetime seal for grandma. Dust to dust. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Because sometimes people think, oh, God's going to forget me, or God doesn't love me, or I, can't, I can lose my salvation. You cannot lose something you didn't earn. <laughs> Child of God, you cost Christ too much for him to forget you. God will forever watch over you. So there never come a time when God will stop loving you. How many of you had a crazy roommate in college? Anyone? I had a crazy roommate in college named Chris Stevens. And Chris moved into the dorm with me at Southwest Texas, which Southwest Texas at the time I went to, it was an academic pillar of the South. Well, we went to class. Chris didn't come from money. Chris was, was like me. We were both poor. We were both writing hot checks to pizza places, you know. Um, he loved the freedom of going to Southwest Texas. He loved the culture of Southwest Texas among the students. And he told me, you know, my parents are really struggling to pay my bills and keep my head above the water. They're borrowing money for me to go to college so I can get a good education. And I said, that's great, Chris. That's wonderful. But Chris, can you imagine this? Chris in college, he actually partied too much. Can you imagine? I know it's hard for you to imagine. 
One day, his mother received a letter from Chris, and it read something like this. I'll, I'll never forget him writing it and reading to me and saying, how does it sound? Dear mom, I'm writing to inform you that I flunked all of my courses. I had an accident, and I totally wrecked my car. I owe Discover $3,000, and I've been suspended for the next semester because I borrowed a classmate's car for a joyride. I'm coming home. Prepare, Dad. <laughs> now, this is before email, okay? This is before email. This is when we wrote letters by hand. I know it's hard to believe young people Google it. We actually did. We took a stamp, put an envelope, and four days later, it got there. His mother wrote a letter back. I'll never forget when he got the letter. Here's what it said. Dear son, dad is prepared. Prepare yourself. <laughs> that was a horrifying letter for him. Dad is prepared. What? Prepare your, how do you prepare yourself for your father? And sometimes we feel like that, like, like sometimes people are like, well, if I ever come home to God, you know, I better prepare myself. Like if I walk in these doors, you know, the walls of the church are going to crash down. No, you're not that special. Well, there's going to be a whipping. There's going to be some weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I want to say to you, God sees with utter clarity who we are. He's undeceived as to our warts and wickedness. But when God looks at us, that's not all God sees. He also sees who we're intended to be, of who one day we will become. My former college roommate, Chris Stevens, is now a successful Mutual of Omaha insurance representative in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm hoping, like God, he doesn't watch this video. <laughs> but if you do happen to watch this and you need some insurance, he will hook you up. When he got home, his father disciplined him, yes, but he loved him. And he said, you're going to go back to school and you're not going to party and you're going to become something. Because he loved him not just for what he was, but what he could be. And true love, I think, is willing to warn and reprove and confront or admonish when necessary, right? A mother that loves a child says, you, you know, you look both ways before you cross the street. And, you know, sometimes you got to spank their little butt sometimes to get their attention. Right? I mean, <laughs> Renee tried with Zachary. I'll never forget. Uh, a few years ago, several years ago, Renee was going to discipline Zachary. She's spanking him. He looks at her and he goes, you might as well go get dad. This doesn't hurt. <laughs> it is actually proof that your parents love you if they discipline you. If your parents don't care, they don't care. No discipline. God loves us enough to, to correct us. And legalism says what? God will love us if we change. The gospel says God will change us because he loves us. Again, the Bible says the Spirit himself testifies with your spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are God's children, we are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We're in the will. I still do this. I call my dad, text my dad to check on him. And sometimes he'll joke around, why are you checking in on me? I'll say, just to keep myself in the will. <laughs> Paul writes about our adoption by God. But it's not the kind of adoption we're familiar with. 
Because adoption in Roman society is different than it was today. In Roman society, when Paul writes these words, understand this, when you adopted a child, it gave the adopted child not only just the full rights of a biological child, but also because of the vulnerability of the adopted child, it actually extended the rights of the adopted child so that the parents could never abandon the child, no matter how old the child got. So you're on, the, you're on your parents' health insurance forever. I'm 80 years old, yeah, still on grandpa's insurance. They're still covering the cell bill. So they were perpetually responsible for the child, even when they weren't a child. So that's the kind of adoption Paul's talking about. It's forever. So we are children of God. And this is why Jesus says to the disciples, I'll be with you always. We're children of God. And the Holy Spirit testifies to this fact. As children of God, we're heirs of God, beneficiaries of all the power and resources, joint heirs with Christ. And I'm convinced that the biggest problem many people have in their lives is they do not know who they are. Their true identity is a mystery to them. Father Greg Boyle is another author you ought to read. He's a Jesuit priest. He works with gang members in East L.A. Father Boyle has actually put together a team of physicians trained in technology of lasers, tattoo removal. And the team is part of a program that takes the tattoos of ex-gang members, people who are trying to get out of the gang culture, and wipes their slate clean, literally off their skin. For many, it's as crucial as a service as it is merciful. To a former gang member, a gang tattoo fosters the attitude that the gang still has a claim on them, and the mark is permanent. It's a mark of ownership as much as his identity. Who are you? I'm part of this gang. And the process of tattoo removal is extremely painful. Patients describe that laser procedure as feeling like hot grease on their skin. And yet the waiting list grows of those who will put up with whatever pain it takes to be transformed and to receive a new identity. You see, if you don't know who you are, you're apt to take on a false identity. You take on the identity of any group you're with. And long before you define yourself, you define yourself by that new identity. And all too often, you become enslaved by that identity. And my mom put it simpler. She would say things like, you're who you hang out with. So a gangbanger, a drug user, an adulterer, a racist, a materialist, a narcissist. There are a whole bunch of enslaving groups in our society. Physical tattoos may be the easiest sign of slavery to remove, for they're simply removed from our skin. But what about those signs of slavery that are tattoos on our souls and our hearts? Do you know who you are? Do you understand that you're a child of God? And when you understand that, that's the day when you really get free. Let me close with this. I once led a retreat, and one of the exercises we did was a very powerful exercise, and it was called Speaking Truth to Lies. Speaking Truth to Lies. And I asked people to write down two or three lies about themselves that they needed to get rid of. Not ridiculous ones like, hey, my hair is blonde and I'm a professional bodybuilder. You know right away, that's a lie. 
You look at me, you don't say professional bodybuilder and your hair's blonde. You might say righteous dad bod, yeah, and gray hair. But there are lies that we hold on to that we know are not true in our head, but we hold on to them in our heart. Like, like this. People would love me more if I was thinner. If I was just skinnier, people would love me more. I'd be more attractive. Or I'm never going to be really whole again. Or lies like, well, I'll always have a problem with drugs and alcohol. I can never overcome it. Or if I wasn't so needy, people would love me more. Or this one, and I think this one's really true. You know, if they found out the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. These are lies. And if we live our lives by lies, we die little deaths. We do. And I asked everyone to write down the kind of lies that they had believed in their heart, but maybe didn't believe in their head. And then we got into small groups, and I asked everyone to share their lies. And I shared two of my lies with the group, and I'm going to share those with you today. And I didn't, I don't really want to because it makes me feel vulnerable. It makes me feel naked, but I need to because I want to be transparent with you. And I want to show you that I'm being real with you. So some of the lies I believed in my heart was, I'm not as important as other pastors. Or my worth is dependent upon what people think of me. I've held on to those lies in my heart before, for years at a time, for years. Can anyone relate to that? I spoke those two lies and I wrote them down and I handed them to someone else and I said, true or false? And they did something very meaningful. They, they ripped them up because they're not true. And the only truth we need to hold on to is that God is our almighty creator, almighty father, who loves us and created the sun, moon, the stars, the universe, and all these other things we want to see with the James Webb telescope. But he took all that power and said, no, I adopt you. You're in the family. So I wonder if I were to ask you what lies you've held on to in your heart, but you knew were not true in your head, what you would write down. I wonder what you would write down. And I wonder if you can imagine handing those lies to God and God ripping them up. You know, the world tells us so many lies. The world tells us, you know, you gotta be this rich to live in Telluride. 492 square feet, you gotta have 1.2 million and an $800 a month HOA fee. You don't quite measure up. Get on that gondola and get on back. There's so many things in life that say you got to be this tall to ride the ride. And man, you just keep coming up short. But there's a reason they're lies. And there's a reason that the evil one, that the devil is called what? The father of lies. Because there's always going to be someone willing to hurt you, to put you down, to gossip about you, belittle your accomplishments, judge your soul. 
It's a fact we got to face. However, if you realize that God is your loving father that stands beside you when others cast stones, so you'll never feel afraid, never feel worthless, and never feel alone. This is the good news. So you are not what others think you are. You are what God knows you are. So this was a great question. Do you know who you are? Because most people don't. Because we believe what others people think about us and not what God says, the 800-pound gorilla says about you. So listen to the 800-pound gorilla. Replace those lies with God's truth that you're children of the Most High, that we're loved with an everlasting love that gives us worth and confidence and a sense of purpose. And we can walk through life with our heads held a little bit higher because of the one who calls us his own. Remember Disney movie, animated movie, a great movie, Toy Story? How many of you saw Toy Story? Yeah, great movie. And I remember the characters were Woody and Buzz Lightyear. If you go to Disney, we still have the Buzz Lightyear that we bought for like $3,000 for our kid. You press the button and it spins around and around and he says, to infinity and beyond. Gosh, they don't know how to market crap. Because you go through the ride and then you got to go through the gift shop to get out. And what's your little kid say? I want a lightsaber. No. <laughs> of course you don't say that. Yeah, here we go. We'll never live until you ride. Here's my credit card. <laughs> so the main characters are Woody and Buzz Lightyear, right? And Buzz Lightyear is a space ranger action figure. And early in the movie, you remember the movie, Woody confronts Buzz with the fact that he's not a real space hero. Woody shouts at him, you're not a space ranger. You're an action figure, a child plaything." And Buzz, right, he's trying to fly and he tries to fly and of course he can't fly. And he realizes the truth of Woody's statement and he's just depressed. And in resignation, he says what? I'm just a stupid little insignificant toy and he believes the lie the lie that Woody told him well later in the movie of course Woody tries to undo the lie and he tries to undo the damage and man once you believe the lie it's really hard for you to unbelieve it and he seeks to comfort his friend and he, and he does it by saying hey remember the boy who owns us and he owns us both. And he says to Buzz, you must not be thinking clearly. Look over in that house. There's a kid who thinks you're the greatest. And it's not because you're a space ranger. It's because you're his. I saw that in the movie. I'm like, man, that's, that's scripture. And Buzz lifts his foot. Remember, he lifts his foot. And he sees the label that's on the bottom. And the kid that marked with permanent ink marker, the Sharpie on the bottom of the shoe. And it has the name of the boy that he belongs to. And it's like his tattoo, right? And he sees the image of his owner and Buzz breaks into a smile. And he has new determination and confidence. And he knows the little boy who owns him treasures him deeply. And he's loved and he knows who he is. He's Buzz Lightyear to infinity and beyond. He can do it. So as we leave this place today, I hope you'll walk a little taller, shoulders held back a little bit more, not because you earned it, but you have a place at the fire. 
You're a son of the king. You're a daughter of the king. You're an adopted child. And the adoption terms never run out, no matter how old you get. Yes, God is stronger and more powerful than an 800-pound gorilla. And he uses that strength to make the sun, the moon, the stars, to breathe life into you, to claim you, to name you, redeem you, and love you, and give you purpose. You are his. But here's the question I have. Do you believe it? Do you really know who you are? I hope you know it. Because the 800-pound gorilla knows. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks. That in this place, a safe place, we can name the lies that we've held on to. The lies in our our heart. That even our head will say, that's not true, but our heart will cling to. Lies that other people have whispered to us. Lies that other people have shouted to us. Ways our culture tells us, you'll never be tall enough to ride this ride. Or rich enough to do this or smart enough, or wise enough. So many things, Lord, can tear us down in life. Even the church can be a place that hurts people. And so we have to confess that, and we have to own that, and we have to strive to make this a place where everyone is welcome, and truly welcome, Not so we can change them when they get here, but just welcome them and love them and leave you, God, in charge of any changing. So, Father, help us to know who we are, not who the father of lies tells us, but who our true adopted father is, the one who adopts us and it never runs out, the one who showed us what he can do with all that strength and all that power and all that might, but to be born in a stable, to live the life of a pauper and to die the life of a criminal who spread his arms on the cross and said, I love you this much and I'll love you forever. Father, we don't forget and we know that Jesus can't forget us because he did that for each of us. But yes, you are almighty, but you use that power to redeem us and claim us. So let us receive that as a gift, as a place in front of the fire to be warmed by your love. We pray this in the name of Christ who teaches us and taught us to pray as we say it out together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.